I'm Alex Shaw. I'm Sharon Shaw. And, and welcome, welcome to, to School of Movies. Shazam. Daily Bats. I choose you as a champion. Say my name so my powers will become yours. Shazam. Wait, for real? Say it, okay? Say my name. Right? What are your superpowers? Superpowers, dude? I don't even know how to pee in this thing. I'd like to purchase some of your finest beer, please. His name is Captain Sparkle Fingers. No, it's not. It's not my that's not my name. Chosen one. Oh, you're like a bad guy, right? You literally did the opposite of what a superhero is supposed to do. Did you see that? Yeah, you electrocuted a bus and almost killed these people. And then I caught it! You leave tall buildings in a single bound. Welcome back to the show, the franchise killer podcast, David Schmitzer. Shazam! Irene Schmitzer. I'm just pointing at a mattress for you to land on. <laughs> Jump on it. And Reese Payne. Hey there, guys. Not prepared. <laughs> and these folks guested on our Super Mario Brothers movie show and The Shadow. But now we have a movie to discuss that we, I hope, all actively liked. The 2019 comedy Shazam! Okay, first, some history. Captain Marvel was created in 1939 by Fawcett Comics. The first released issues were about a year after DC's Superman, and he was the most popular superhero of his age, even outstripping the Kryptonian. And technically, he got the first ever superhero film, or rather a 12-part serial, which is how they did things in those days, The Adventures of Captain Marvel in 1941. Uh, so that's this is kind of a remake of those 12. There's not a giant robot scorpion in this one but uh, oh did they not let John Peters play this it time? is the poor for it must have been Jonald <laughs> Peters his great grandfather yeah, absolutely yeah. who, who was a hairdresser in Hollywood and a major producer passed on his fondness for arachnids yeah Uh, in 1953, Fawcett were obliged to stop publishing Captain Marvel due to a copyright infringement suit from DC alleging he was too similar to Superman. During that time of Captain Marvel-lessness, Marvel Comics, you may have heard of them, trademarked the name Captain Marvel and created a character called Captain Marvel in 1967. The short version is a male version of Annette Benning in the Marvel movie, Captain Marvel, released within weeks of the Shazam movie in the spring of 2019. However, the stipulation was that Marvel were legally obliged to publish comics starring a character named Captain Marvel every few years. Marvel wasn't selling like hotcakes, so they killed him. In 1982, they made Monica Rambeau the new Captain Marvel. You may have heard of her. 
and after her, decades of messing around followed until after years of playing Ms. Marvel and Warbird and being abused and put on in a lengthy coma, 45 years after the name was created for a weird flexing reason by Marvel Comics, the Avenger Carol Danvers took the mantle of Captain Marvel. In 2012, which seems so long ago and yet remarkably close. Yes. Hmm. Going back to Billy Batson, though, in 1972, five years after the introduction of Marvel's Marvel, but before they killed him, Fawcett Comics licensed Captain Marvel to DC. And by 1991, they had acquired all rights to every character. So basically, Fawcett Comics were no more, and it was DC all the way. And due to the aforementioned rights fiasco and flexing, DC can call him Captain Marvel, but they can't publish comics called Captain Marvel with Captain Marvel in them. But they can talk about the power of Shazam, which is actually not his name. That's the name of the creepy old wizard played in this movie by Jaman Hounsou, who was also in Captain Marvel, the other Captain Marvel, played Korath again. They're just fucking with us now. And they wisely made, what the hell is this superhero even called, a running gag throughout this movie. It was directed by David F. Sandberg, who made his debut with Blumhouse thriller Lights Out, and then he directed Evil Doll Origin Story sequel prequel Annabelle Creation. Shazam was written by Henry Gaiden, who wrote something called Ham Sandwich, but he also wrote Earth to Echo, which is a charming found footage movie, kind of like E.T. meets Wall-E, about, oh, with a little bit of short circuit, a little bit of Mac and me, um, <laughs> about kids who find a little alien robot and Shazam stars Zachary Levi, who shot to fame in Alvin and the Chipmunks 2, colon, The Squeakquel. He was Finn in Tangled. He was Chuck in the TV show of the same name, Chuck, and the second version of Fandrel, a Thor character, one of Thor's closest friends who got, like, three lines in two movies and then died at the hands of Hela a second after his appearance in Ragnarok. She threw a knife right in his chest two years before this film came out. So basically being able to be like a headlining superhero was a huge deal for Zachary Levi. He was like, oh, I just Marvel just kicked me out of the whole universe with a throwing knife. But as with letting Patty Jenkins go from directing Thor 2, Marvel's loss is DC's gain. Yep. Also, they, they killed Korath as well. So, like, Jam and Hounsou was uh, kicked out of the uh, Marvel Universe yeah. and then came back here. DC are just, like, hovering around, picking up Marvel's leftovers. <laughs> I, I don't want to say leftovers. These no, are, no, this no, is serious actually, yeah, talent. That sounds terrible. Come on, who? <laughs> Marvel are going, we don't need this incredibly talented person. Just kill him. So the first yeah. question is going to concern how the creative talent involved in this paid off. How is this different from most other superhero movies, bearing in mind that the second question is, at the same time, which movies does it remind you of? So hold that back for question two. I think this movie is mostly successful based off the director's talents and how they're employed. I think coming from a horror background, that definitely shows here a couple of times and it kind of evokes that like almost 80s feel when family kids movies were still kind of scary mm. uh, and I think this movie does that pretty well it's a little too intense a couple times mm -hmm. but it's still like 
it's 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 almost you know how the feeling I felt when I watched Temple of mm. Doom was just like wow that guy just ripped that guy's heart out. <laughs> oh, it, it, it's technically a family adventure film, okay? So uh, I, I I think it's an inspired choice to go with Sandberg for this movie. Mm. Um, yeah, probably a, a, a cheap hire too. Which yeah. is <laughs> well, and fun fact, he, he did the horror stuff before this, right? And Annabelle Creation was yeah. something I didn't realize that he did. Mm. Um, and Reese showed up to my uh, my house the other day, and he's like, "Guess what we're watching?" And we did a, a double feature of Shazam and uh, Annabelle Creation. That is and a I, weird back to back. Yeah, I, is uh, is the girl who plays Mary in Annabelle Creation? Yes. Ah, yeah, thanks. that was the one you were pointing out. Yes. Reveal your little Easter egg that you found, David. Uh, I, mean, I don't know if it matters all that much, but we finished watching Annabelle, and I'm not a horror movie person, so that doll was in, it's just like burned into my memory. Um, we were watching uh, Shazam, and as we were watching it, there's like one point where they're at a shop, and I see the Annabelle doll in the bottom like shelf. Like the Raggedy Ann doll? Yeah. Yes, yeah, but, I remember now. Actually, it's, 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 is it the Annabelle doll or is it the original Annabelle doll? It was the Annabelle doll, like this, the it's one the new from one. the movie. Yes, yeah, the yeah. new one. Oh, right. It's a man as well underwater, in one of the underwater oh, scenes. I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I had to pause it. I was like, no. Well, you got you got James Wan behind Aquaman, another horror director. So yeah. they're plopping Annabelle yeah. all over that universe. <laughs> and uh, I suppose the, the Marvel equivalent would be when they uh, hired um, Scott Derrickson for... Uh, Doctor Strange, Doctor Strange, yeah. and then got rid of him and hired Sam Raimi to do the next Doctor Strange. So it's horror all the way. Exactly. Yeah, I'm excited for that. Me too. I'm always excited for Marvel. They're they're always shaking it up. I'm always I'm always excited for Sam Raimi too. Yeah. I think one of the things that makes it feel very different, very different. It's it feels different to previous superhero movies for me, and I don't know whether this is more a, a question of timing rather than talent. But it's one of the first superhero movies that, by its very positioning, has to be extremely self-referential. Like it's very self-aware about the fact that it's a superhero movie, and that, and and the fact that it's a movie, and that seems to go from things like the the whole segment where they're trying to work out what his powers are, the fact that he is a superhero in a world where superheroes are a thing and specifically that superheroes are a famous thing. They are celebrities that people chase. And there's loads of little bits and pieces in here that make it feel, and it almost feels more like a Marvel movie than a DC movie for for that reason. The kids are reflecting back the idea that these superheroes are people that they admire and look up to, as opposed to them being these very dully colored gods that sit far away and hate everybody mm-hmm. and it's very meta as well mm. uh, a lot of not quite breaking the fourth wall but just as close as you can get to it pretty much without looking into the camera yeah mm. exactly um, very Marvel yeah I was going to say it reminded me of Marvel and compared to the other DC movies that came before it I think there were the seven other movies or whatever that came before this they all didn't like, well, what's the word? Like, they were trying to be too serious about it. They were not leaning into what it was, which is kind of just an over-the-top superhero movie. Well, there's a, a heavy influence, obviously, of, of Zack Snyder, and we've waxed long about him. We got Man of Steel in 2013, Batman v Superman 2016, Suicide Squad, David Ayer's thing, um, weirdly compromised and handed off to Trailer Park to, uh, to to resituate it and make it like Hot Topic Guardians of the Galaxy, but still very macho. And then Wonder Woman, which is completely different in tone to every other DC film, including its own sequel. 
There's a magnificence about the original Wonder Woman, which uh, feels like Marvel don't tend to try for because they're trying to keep everything relatable. Though the Eternals might actually touch upon this tone. Black Panther certainly did. And then Justice League, again, ridiculously compromised with um, uh, Whedon's cut of it. And then Aquaman with its epic scale and yet sharks with frickin' laser beams attached to their heads. So much of this was course correction because BVS, yeah. they, they changed it around because they knew Civil War was going to be... Like, Marvel were dicks and were like, okay, the moment Batman v Superman was announced... Marvel were like, well, we're going to release Civil War on the same day. Your move, creep. And uh, DC were like, fine, I guess we'll do it a little bit earlier. So, yep, Marvel being dicks. Suicide Squad, they were uh, trying to make it more like Guardians. Wonder Woman, from the sounds of it, didn't actually get compromised too much. I feel like a lot of people um, criticised the original Wonder Woman for the third act and the whole kind yeah, of like big floating cave troll. I think that's where there was some tinkering. Where yeah. We've got to have Ares in here in a big old CGI battle that's very Snyder-esque. Yeah. And the obviously Justice League's uh, tink, uh, uh, meddling is legendary. Like that, that's that's like one of the – going to go down in history as one of the films that they just forced to be something else. And the, the something else they forced it into was not particularly beloved. Just a quick anecdote to that Justice League movie. I was recently on Letterboxd making a ranking of all the DCEU movies, mm -hmm. and at my final count, I was like, there's one missing. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't, I was racking my brain. I had to go into Wikipedia, look at the, the filmography, like all the filmographies it's in DCEU. I was like, I forgot Justice League. <laughs> and I'm like, that's. That should never happen. Oh, <laughs> mediocre. Like forgetting Avengers, like going through the Marvel movies. Oh, whoops, I forgot Avengers. The movie's so nice, they made it twice. But Aquaman is really, like, it, it sets out to be this crazy Flash Gordon space opera, but under the sea, and it succeeds in doing that. And it's, like, bro-ish, but not toxic, and it's beautiful and colorful, and, like, has a lot of feminine energy in it. And that was not meddled with. They just let James Wan do his thing. And that was fantastic. And then Shazam came out, and it was kind of, like, surfing on that wave. I feel like people were a bit kind of... Oh, it's it's fine. It's like it's a little bit small in comparison. It's I, like the way Ant Man was like small but charming. Yeah, when I, I suspect one of the reasons why Shazam didn't exactly grab the huge crowds is because it doesn't have the. I want to say connective tissue, but what I really mean is hooks, like chains with hooks that attach all of the <laughs> DCU like movies together. Yeah, um, Shazam, it doesn't owe a debt to any previous movies. Mm. It doesn't have anything that necessitates paying forward into future movies. It gets mm. to be its own thing. Mm. And I think that is both its strength and potentially its weakness. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's what makes it strong for a revisit, because at the time, everyone's so focused on Marvel and all the big hitting movies. Mm. But this one, you kind of come back to later and realize, hang on a second, there was something unique about this film that I didn't appreciate at the time. Yes. When I watched it, I was like, they're being really coy about faces on these. And there's been rumors <laughs> for years about like reshuffling the cast for um, mm -hmm. the Batman and Superman. That, that right. like the it felt like it was a given that Gal Gadot would be returning as Wonder Woman pretty much permanently. And then right. Wonder Woman 1984 came out and it whelmed the people who saw it. Um, it was very whelming, yes. Yeah. But it felt like at the time uh, Ben Affleck was like, uh, well, I'll be coming back to, to not only direct 
but star in the Batman, and then he was just going to direct and not star, and then he or or just star but not direct or just write, and then eventually he was like, nah, I'm not doing anything to do with that, and then they started doing a completely different film that didn't include him at all, and then it was is Henry Cavill coming back to play Superman? Question mark. That's still very much shuffle in the shuffle-y. I don't know what's going on with that. Yeah. So my assumption at the end, when like Superman turns up and doesn't turn out to be Henry Cavill, was like, are they just future proofing this thing? <laughs> Is this like a, a meta textual? Who can say who this Superman is at this point? It may as well yeah. be like a, a, a jib jab of Christopher Reeve. I think they are still completely clueless where they're taking this universe, hmm. but they have at least dialed in on making good individual movies. Yeah. Like it's, I have no, they have no idea what the grand scheme of this thing is, but they're like, ah, well, let's at least get like talent and give them the resources they need so they can make their visions. And then we'll loosely tie them all together. Or if we don't like them, we'll just, we'll just pretend like they didn't exist. Yeah. And Superman, uh, I don't know. <laughs> we don't know what's going to be happening in future, but it, it felt like for at least three films, oh, they're, they're doing it right. They're doing it well. And I'm kind of surprised that Joker isn't on here because it feels like that was a DC movie and, Mm-hmm. I, so does that indicate they don't consider it to be part of the DCEU? I don't okay, We know they're going to fold that shit in there somehow. Like, it made well, a billion dollars. Like, you have to. Yeah. I think, and this is just my uh, totally speculation, I think this new Batman looks incredibly too dark to be a part of whatever the DCEU is, and mm-hmm. they've already said it's not part of that. I think if they're going to roll the Joker into anything at all, it's yeah, going to be in the, whatever storyline they're carrying on with that so we're thing. gonna have a robert pattinson walking phoenix kind of tie-in yeah but i mean walking phoenix would have to be like 30 years older for that yeah, movie, that movie does, mm-hmm. it could be an older joker the, takes place in the 70s i think right yeah, yeah yeah i was the handsomest boy in new york <laughs> <laughs> yeah like i said so much of it seemed to be course correction and mm-hmm. as as we seem to have established one of the strengths of this is that it doesn't course correct it just it operates in a bubble it's it's part of the dceu almost as a joke they're throwing giant batman figures around in this freddy's wearing an aquaman t-shirt he's got a superman bullet and somehow they've got a batarang so it's like they're sort of operating at the periphery it's it's at the level of one of the marvel tv shows maybe yeah they're fans they're not heroes technically it's going to be at the same level as Ms. Marvel when that gets released. She fangirls for Carol, and I'm looking forward to that like crazy. But, I mean, that's another thing as well uh, that that separates it from a lot of other superhero movies, and I just sort of uh, bullet-pointed this one. Billy is really stoked. He's really happy to be a superhero. He's thrilled at the mm-hmm. prospect. So, and, yes. and specifically, Zachary Levi was like, you know, so many other superheroes would be like, it is my destiny and my duty, my burden to be a superhero. But he decides to be one because he's like, well, I mean, look at me. Look at how I'm dressed. Look at what I can do. What else could I do but be a superhero? Mm-hmm. This, yeah, uh, you, you got it exactly right. This actually kind of, I had a slight issue with this movie, and I don't know if y'all felt the same way. Mm-hmm. But uh, I almost felt like, like there was a bit of a disconnect between Billy as Shazam mm. and Billy as Billy. Yeah. Like he's – it almost seemed like two different – completely different characters. And I know like one of the seven gods that makes up the acronym that's Shazam is like confidence or something like that. But I was almost kind of like, no, this is a completely different person. Pulled you out of it a little bit. Yeah, I was still enjoying it. 
but I was like, is this really how Billy would act? Zachary Levi, you are not Billy. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't know. That could just be me. Uh, no, it's it's not you. There, there is a, a, a sense that um, Billy becomes funny the moment he's in the Shazam costume. I think it's it's also because um, Jack Dylan Grazer as uh, Freddy is fucking hilarious. He was he's one amazing. of the shining jewels of it. Yeah, I think he steals it from him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the double bind being that if he's Billy and also Shazam, you have to say goodbye to one of them if the other one turns up. You never get them to interact, and they have a really great rapport in this. I love Zachary Levi in this, though, and I think he does a really good job of uh, Jimmy Fallon impersonating Shazam. I think it's really funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He is kind of Fallon-esque. I, I thought about that. I mean, he almost <laughs> looks like Jimmy Fallon. Not many people know this, but Shazam actually stands for all... Stands with a D. Uh, for the various uh, mythological characters that uh, he has the powers of. Um, mm-hmm. You mentioned he had... Uh, do you say um, confidence? It's, I think that was like, one of the powers. It was yeah. Like, what yeah. was it? Solomon? It's, and... it's the Wisdom of Solomon. Yeah. Uh, the strength of Hercules, the stamina of Atlas, the power of Zeus, which is the lightning bolts, the oh. courage of Achilles, and the speed of Mercury. So let's talk about those powers and how challenging wielding them is for Billy. Billy is a kid who's gone through various foster homes, having been abandoned by his mother at a fair at a ridiculously young age. He's always looking for her. He's a little bit wayward, a little bit of a trickster. Then he ends up being caught trying to steal a cop car so he can get information on the last woman who goes by the name that his mother went by. And he ends up being foisted on what appears to be the last foster home that he might ever be part of. And it's this incredibly sweet, nice family of multi-ethnic kids and uh, foster parents who are incredibly loving and fun and genuine and honest and very specifically were foster kids themselves and so nurturing kind of, yeah. they want to pay it forward it's it's what every foster kid would dream of i'd imagine his journey in terms of drama is to find his mother who who left him out of just desperation she was too young she didn't know how to deal with a kid she just kind of left him to god's good graces and ran away so billy must find this woman get let down by her again and then realize oh you know what the family that i have been sort of dropped in with are in fact way better than what I've been hoping for here. Kind of like the DC light version of any other uh, superhero losing their parents, except for he, she didn't die. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of mom issues in the, <laughs> the DCEU. <laughs> oh, Sharon said before we started, uh, um, just as we were finishing off, uh, she said he um, had no uh, uh, dead parents, so uh, yeah, that, that's why he's so nice. And, and frankly, it's amazing that Billy is as decent a kid as he actually is because he's got a super villain's origin yeah just complete well, that's, that, that's an funny. m night Shyamalan uh, pretend glass villain origin <laughs> basically the movie is as soon as he gets these powers it's a sort of a, a push-pull between him abusing these powers and kind of getting the hang of them lightning first but the power of Zeus this one's probably the most obviously abused of all the powers He's charging people's phones. He's lightning, lightning in my hands. <laughs> lightning in my hands. Making YouTube videos. He become he kind of makes himself like a little uh, celebrity. So he kind of mistakes being a superhero for 
being adored for being for looking like a superhero and having the abilities of a superhero. Mm-hmm. If you if you look at the actual um, robbery he foils, they kind of gloss over it in the film, but he endangers a child by having the uh, robbers uh, shoot him in the face and uh, in the costume while uh, Jack is just, sorry, Freddy. while Freddy is stood a foot away from him and the uh, cashier is also right there. Like one of those bullets could, like he doesn't know they're not gonna bounce off and, and, and kill people around him. Um, then he sm- ties them up with Christmas lights and throws them through a window, which is probably going to cost about $400 to replace, which is probably more than the money that was in the till that he prevented from being stolen. <laughs> insurance, and then, buddy. Yeah, and insurance, but at the same time, like he just leaves them there. And then when the cop car arrives, they aren't there anymore. <laughs> so he didn't actually really do anything at that point. All, all, all he did was kind of abuse his superpowers and they don't focus on that in, in the film. Like they, they they kind of, the whole thing is funny insofar as like he's, when he, he foils the mugger and actually ends up kind of terrifying the woman in, in the end. You wanna try invisibility? How do I do? You, forget it, you know, okay. Okay, 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 okay. Oh my God, it worked. Where'd you go? I'm right here, you can't see me. Where? I'm invisible! I'm right here. I'm right here. <laughs> I'm invisible! I'm invisible! Nice outfit, dipshit. <laughs> I, I might have been testing invisibility and super intelligence at the same time. Freeman, I'm gonna come over there and beat you. So conversely, which movies does this draw its influences from? So there, there are quite a few films where, like, I feel like I can't help myself but compare movies as I'm watching them. Like, oh, this reminds me of this. This reminds me of that. And uh, there are so many where uh, while I was watching this, I was thinking of, I thought of Jumanji. I thought of Ghostbusters. I started, it was just kind of all over the place as far as like uh, the monster design with all these sins reminded me of Zool. And there's a lot of, in my mind, very subtle 80s flares to this film Mm -hmm. where you got the classic two bullies you have the kid who's kind of you know uh, misunderstood misunderstood you know and that's that's kind of a common theme anyway but um it's i i think there's this kind of a focus on nostalgia almost Mm -hmm. that whether or not it was intentional was kind of focusing on and um i i kind of see that in the it films as well Mm. so yeah yeah. uh i i just remembered it. I knew there was a movie this reminded me of. Uh, the first Raimi Spider-Man. I was thinking yeah. Oh, yeah, that, that one too. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. honestly, he is this this the portrayal here is a little more reckless from mm. our mate uh, Billy Batson here. It's more for fame. Uh, but there's a there's an element of Spider-Man, the 2002 <laughs> original, mm-hmm. where he is playing with his powers. He's just he wakes up, he's like Oh, I've I've got it. I've got this body now. I can do these things. Big change. And yeah, big change. He's like, I can I can have a little fun with this. He's not thinking about the grander <laughs> scheme of his powers, like what this actually means. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just like this is new. There's I'm no gonna... on May to tell him that he has a lot of responsibility. Yeah, now. he's like, I'm gonna take this new car for a test drive. And both of these characters it's do this. His uncle. Dang it, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> But, yeah. I love how he says, yep, yeah, big change. Is he? Impl- <laughs> I always took that to mean, I've grown a spider penis. 
<laughs> yeah, I know. So, okay. <laughs> Having that friend to be able to share this with is a huge deal. And, and Raimi's Spider-Man was very lonely in that regard. He, he wasn't able to tell anyone that. Right. This film reminded me of Spider-Man Homecoming a lot. Uh, okay, principally yeah, because, uh, exactly as you said, it's got that kind of retro 80s feel. There's a weird energy behind Spider-Man Homecoming where they're kind of like, huh, remember the 80s? And it's like, yeah, yeah but how is it going to impact on this kid? Who's These like, kids were born in the 80s. This kid's like 16. <laughs> they, they even made a point, 15, they even made a point in um, Civil War where he's like, Hey guys, you ever seen that really old movie? Uh, Empire Strikes Back? Tony, how old is this guy? I don't know. I didn't carbon date him. He's on the young side. I, he's kind of 80s curious. He's, he's got <laughs> yeah. some... That sounds, a lot, that sounds a little weird. Yeah. He's got... It's, yeah. it's massaging Generation X's notorious nostalgia. And yeah. so he's kind of like... He's complimenting them by being interested in stuff they like. So he's got a Lego Death Star. He's got some old Kenner Star Wars stuff. Both these films, for no apparent reason, have schoolbook animated end sequences scored by the Ramones. You've got Blitzkrieg Bop and I Don't Want to Grow Up. And it's like... This one I understand a little better because it will appeal to millennials who played Tony Hawk Pro Skater 3 because it was one of the best tracks there. But that was at the turn of the century. Whereas this one, at least thematically, fits with the film. When I'm alive in my fitting head, I don't want to go. Nothing ever since turning around, and I don't want to go. This is two years after Homecoming. You know. Like, this isn't like, oh, no, we accidentally did the same basic thing. They know they're, do they're doing the yeah. same thing there. Well, they're definitely going for that Marvel feel anyway. So I think that, you know, before they were trying to do their own DC thing, they're like, you know what? Maybe we should try to be more mm. Marvel. But this doesn't mean that I'm like, oh, you just copied Spider-Man Homecoming. I love it when things that carry on down the chain and are done in a different way. So Ned being uh, Peter's friend in Homecoming is a huge deal. You get a feel of him being in high school like you never got in any of the previous five before. Um, I think Homecoming might still be my favorite non-Spider-Verse Spider-Man film that's not a crossover like an Avengers. It retains that sense of kids acting like kids, which right. um, I, I, I really appreciate. So even if it is kind of like weirdly leaning towards the 80s and evoking another 80s film that they even like pitched it to Zachary Levi as, uh, no, actually the, the director, it was uh, Superman meets Big. And yes. uh, the, the Tom Hanks film where he wakes up after wishing he was big and now is suddenly Tom Hanks. Mm. That, we get a reference in this movie. That's another, that's another Marvel thing though, where, where you look at Marvel films mm -hmm. and they're like, what if Captain America, but political thriller? What if Ant-Man, but heist film? Mm -hmm. What if Shazam, but it's big? It's a, <laughs> what if it's just <laughs> you know, monumentally yeah. larger? There's a core relationship in both films of a friendship between two boys of the same age, one of whom, though, is played by an adult actor. Sorry about your window! Have a good night. You're welcome for not getting robbed! Hey, it's a fighting bad guys. Yeah. <laughs> that tastes like actual vomit. <laughs> you know, having your jerky, if you eat enough of it, it can burn a hole in your stomach. Worth that. Yeah. Probably not you, though. Probably got stomach superpowers. Probably. Oh, hey. What's up? I'm a superhero. Yeah, his name is, uh, 
Captain Sparkle Fingers. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's not my. That's not my name. Hey, we should hang out. We're like the same age. Oh, okay. Come out. Hey, wait up! That's like big in thirty seconds. Where it differs from big, though. The actual superhero game that he just sort of uh, uh, gleefully seems to want in on, the moment that a supervillain touches down, he's like, oh, no, I'm going to get killed. Right. I think that um, going off of that, one of the aspects I would have loved to see dug into just a little bit more is after his conversation with Freddy, where Freddy's like, yeah, no, I would kill to have your powers. Like, look at me. Nobody sees me. He's... He's a kid that can't even walk normally like other kids, and yet his his brother, quote unquote, is imbued with these powers. Mm-hmm. And I, I wish they could have kind of pushed that a little bit more, where this main character, Billy, has to focus on what he does have versus what he doesn't have, you know? Yeah. And it's and just this kind of sympathetic nature towards others in his life where they sort of, they kind of touch on it, but it's, it's such a good theme that I feel was overlooked a bit much. It's not the biggest theme that they're trying to push in this movie. Mm. I'd say that the dramatic arc on that actually, um, that might be another reason why Jack Dylan Grazer kind of shine outshines his, uh, his right. co-star. The other, um, hang on. it's Asher, Asher? Angel. Yeah. Asher Angel, yeah, Asher Angel, who's up against a hell of a lot because Grazer's got this incredible personality, but he also he plays a disabled character in mm-hmm. a kind of way that eats the rest of the film uh, almost. Uh, it, it's I would imagine and hope that disabled people were able to sort of watch this and go. Nice. Okay, that's cool. Freddy, this is Billy Batson. Make sure you make him feel at home, okay? Maybe don't say anything too weird. Oh, one weird thing is, you know the Romans used to brush their teeth with their urine? And apparently it, it works. Yep. Um. Oh, it's a, it's a long way down. Trust me, I speak from experience. Victor pushed me. Seem nice, but don't buy it. It gets real Game of Thrones around here. What? Dude, I'm, I'm just just messing around. It's um, it's terminal cancer. I only have three months. Kidding again? You look at me and you're like, why so dark? You're a disabled foster kid. You've got it all, right? <laughs> oh yeah, that's the uh, the old battering. I mean, it's a, it's a replica, but. Feel how sharp. I could kill you in your sleep with that thing. Do we have a soups guy? Yeah, me too. Behold the holy grail. One nine millimeter round shot at Superman himself. It's legit. Probably worth, I don't know, five, six hundred, maybe more. Mm. And the fact that they don't shy away from uh, the invisibility. Um, right. It's even actually kind of a, a sub theme when he says, would you rather, uh, was it fly or, fly or, or, be, or be invisible? And I think that the invisibility gets sort of labeled as you know, it's it's a creepy power and you're used yep. to spy on people. But for Freddy, he feels invisible because people kind of overlook him uh, in, right. in a way that being disabled is an inconvenience to the rest of the world. Yeah, his his being weird is a way to make sh- to to try and get people to leave their eye on him mm. a little bit longer. Right. It's weird, by the way, that the uh, the the two bullies, like the pieces of shit, like Stephen King bullies, but less terrifying because this is a a, a kids movie. <laughs> um, they pick on 
uh, Freddy, and like they're, they're like, "That's why your mom's dead." And but but they never mention his disability. They never actually say anything cruel about it. It's like, yeah, no, we've got a line, and we're not going to cross that one. That's why your mom's <laughs> dead. Except for the, with the car, they'll do that though. Hey, Freeman. I wouldn't do that if I were you. What, is your bestie going to hit us with a wheelchair this time? No, maybe not him, but I have another best friend. You may have heard of him. Frequency flinger, Sir Zapsalot, Zapped in America, the electrician, the human papillomavirus. I'm going to do that again. <laughs> <laughs> Around the whole concept of the nostalgia thing, there's there's a very fine line that you can walk when you're making a movie that I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say it weaponizes nostalgia, but it uses it very consciously mm. and uses mm. references to other movies very consciously to evoke the feelings that those other movies are likely to have for people. And it actually makes an awful lot of sense in this because Billy is literally jumping backwards and forwards from being chronologically somebody who is Gen Z. And somebody who is Gen X. Right. Yeah. Very, very late stage Gen X. I've got one foot in that and millennial. (laughs) Zachary Levi is one month younger than me. Yeah. Well, you and me kind of sit on that that cross line. That's what got the most bitter laugh from me. He was like, I'm 20, maybe 30. I was like... (laughs) (laughs) Dream on, boy. Um, Dude, you're 40. (laughs) But that, uh, that to, to use that cross-referencing to other films, you have to be really careful with it because it can get very cheap very quickly. And I think they managed this almost pitch perfectly. I can't think of anywhere where they've done it and it felt wrong. The only one that I think is is maybe a little bit more overt than the others is the big reference. <laughs> what, um, the, the piano? The, the that's, piano, That's yeah. more of a kind of a, yes, we're doing big, thank you big. But, but that's what I mean. Yeah. You, you do it when you do it with the uh, dignity of a salute to the thing that you're, yeah. uh, you're drawing from rather than a, hey, hey, we can do it too, we can do it too. I was saying, Ready Player One, this is not. Yeah, I was thinking that real loud. Uh, (laughs) A couple more films that this reminds me of. uh, Deadpool, just for its, like, uh, it's like a kid-friendly Deadpool. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, they made the the, They made a kid-friendly version of Deadpool, and it's still got a 15 certificate in the UK. In the UK, Deadpool was a 15. (laughs) Sorry, Deadpool 2 was a 15, and then the kid-friendly Deadpool 2 was also a 15. It was mental. Well, that's how I felt about Howard the Duck, where you're just like, is this a kid's film? I don't think so. The original Howard the Duck, not okay. Over here, it was... Have you guys done Howard the Duck? We haven't, but we have seen it. We have a bad movie collection, and it. it's on there. It <laughs> seems like something that you would thrive on. That we is would, quite It the, is definitely on our list. It's nice. quite the experience seeing duck breasts. I didn't ask to see in my life. <laughs> I mean, platypus, it's right there. True. <laughs> oh, gosh. Another movie, uh, and this is one that most people have forgotten, but I feel like it came out just... Before, I, I, I think, did I mention Kick Ass? Yes. It feels a lot like yeah. Kick Ass, mm. but again, yeah. kid friendly as opposed yes. to weirdly Kick-Ass cynical. Kick Ass is but. much more brutal. Than and uh, Mark Strong's in both of them as well, yeah. as a really. E- oh, it's the same scenario in both. Like, it's this kid who decides, I'm going to be a superhero. And then Mark Strong comes out of nowhere and goes, I'm a criminal and I will kill you. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Mark Strong <laughs> is also in Kingsman. True, yeah. Uh, I was going to say, I, I would also lump Ant Man in there too. Like, yeah. this gave similar feelings to me that honestly yeah. just the way it handles humor and how the seriously energy. it wants you to take it 
Yeah. But the movie I was uh, thinking of that everyone's forgotten is Hancock, which is Will Smith playing a crap superhero who's not good at what he does, causes more trouble than he's actually fixing, and needs to learn how to be a better person. It's I love Hancock. We did a whole show on it and why it's actually really, really good and why if it came out in, say, 2014, it would have been a huge hit and Will Smith would have been a major star in it. But instead it was 2008 and people were like, meh, we've had enough of superheroes. We're having superhero burnout here. We're, we're, we're all batman out. Yeah, no more superheroes, thank you very much. It's 2008. I, I think they're done. Um, so, And the other one it weirdly reminded me of was Narnia. Like it, the all of the magic stuff and the whole like walking through stuff. doors. Yeah, there's basically a wardrobe in this. It just, yeah, it takes the form of a car or a train. Well, or <laughs> not to mention like a a group of kids that mm. all have their unique abilities that help a situation. Yes, and that that kind of is thrown together at the end of this film. Yeah, there's in the... Narnia. It's like you're right. They, 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 they all do... develop that over time. But yeah, and in the end, they're all adults, and they're all given their own thrones yep, to sit. Yep. It's in a deleted scene. I don't know if it's in the film, but they all go and sit down on those seven thrones. Narnia. That's very Narnia as well. <laughs> yeah. And they say, uh, they, um, Dala says, "Oh, there's one throne empty. Who's that? Well, you know what? They'll be in our family, and I love them already." And I'm like, "Is that Black Adam?" So the Rock's going to be hanging out with them then. I'm going to check <laughs> whether strange. Black Adam's actually. When's that I think it comes out 2022. I think it's filming right now. Okay, because The Rock's been talking about it for nearly a decade now. I know. I think think they're finally making that thing happen. Yeah, 2022. Okay, right. Actually, that leads me to my next thing. Before we get to um, the 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 really uh, like occasionally disturbing supervillain, and that is the franchise killer connection here, because there is a reason why this. And not many other mo- superhero movies, but this one in particular is in itself kind of a self-destructing franchise killer. Mm. Yeah. Because Fury, I started writing a whole thing about how you can't do sequels to this now because the kids, like, the, the, it's taken far too long in between. The kids are going to be too grown up. You know, if you take your time between sequels, you got a 20-year-old young man turning into a 45-year-old man. Eventually, you got a 25-year-old man in his prime turning into a 50-year-old and going, oh, I lost my supple limbs. Eventually, it's going to be kind of a downgrade where they... Right. <laughs> The, you say Shazam and you lose not, 10 not years. <laughs> He's a kid. He's supposed to be a little kid. And you take five years between movies and he's not a little kid anymore. He's an adult. I'm an adult. My, I did my reading up on this. I was like, have they, have they got another one in the works? They have. They, they're already filming it. it. Uh, yep. It's being released in June 2023, so that's four years after this original film, though it feels like so much longer. And uh, it, the, the between the two, the two boys will have gone from actors age 16 playing 15-ish, maybe 14, to mm-hmm. actors age 20 playing question mark? Like, they're going to have to put them in a hole. <laughs> how, how do you see this, like, carrying on? Uh, well, for me, I... I honestly don't see it as a franchise killer. If it's making money, WB is going to figure out a way to make a sequel. They've been known to recast and recast, as we've seen with Batman and Superman. If for some reason they still want the young Billy Batson, I could just see them recasting him. Or just 
have him older and say he's younger like they do in every single movie. Mm. Like Harry Potter. How old was Harry Potter in the last movie? He had to be like 25 and he was supposed to be like 18. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know what it – but it, I honestly don't think it's going to uh, – they're just going to hand wave it away. I think like, oh, yeah, he, he looks older. Who cares? Did Shazam like, make money? Yes, it did. It, oh, yeah. I feel like we're getting a sequel. Like I don't think it, – it, it wasn't their hugest success, but it was also a low, lower budget film like it, i think it's actually the lowest in the dcu uh maybe birds of prey i'm not sure uh but this one was like 90 100 million and it made like 300 something oh million. wow so yeah they're like they don't they don't care they'll either recast them or just keep the older version shazam made 366 million which is okay for a superhero movie it wasn't enough to get the incredible hulk a sequel but birds of prey got 200 million on basically the same budget I do think that the distance between the two films is a huge detractor, though, because yeah. why? It, it's one of those things where there's enough time and there's so much stimulation and so much content that comes out quickly now that why why should we care? You have to give the audience a reason to care Short if it's been spans. that long. So a lot of the time, the most successful thing to do is a kind of a soft reboot where mm. they just kind of revamp everything and make it. Start mm-hmm. as if it's something fresh and new. Well, they got. So, and, and besides, when you think of Shazam, you're you're thinking of Zachary Levi, right. and not uh, Asher Angel or whatever. Like when you think, when I actually think of that character, mm-hmm. I think they're more concerned about keeping Zachary Levi mm-hmm. as right. this kind of figurehead for this franchise. And I think that's why we see such a strong similarity d- between Deadpool and um, uh, what what was the other one with the Ant Man? Ant Man. Because it's mostly about those actors. Mm. They bring something of their personality and their charisma into mm. the part. So you you almost don't want to see anyone else and you remember, reprising that. You remember yeah. Ant-Man's solution to that age problem with his daughter. They just did the blip and it's now this older actress. <laughs> <laughs> Technically, it's two older actresses. They've recast Cassie Lang again. The, all the kids are have been cast as resuming their roles as well. So it's going to be the kids back, older and playing themselves again. I suppose like the, the thing is, it's the same thing that's kind of affected the Spider-Man films. Like Peter started in high school mm-hmm. way back like, in 2016. That was a million years ago. He's still in high school, technically. Yeah. Um, and Has he still not graduated? I don't think so. Like, wow. At the moment, he's public enemy number one. Well, Spider-Man Don't turn is. up for exams when you're public enemy number one. Well, yeah, Spider-Man is. But like, they, they, they had the blip as well, which is confu- confusing. But the, the DCEU is carrying on, and you can't actually keep Billy too young if time is also going on. I do think, though, the... Unless they do, like, the Wonder Woman thing, and it's like, yeah. And then, very shortly after that film, but before everything else happened, and, and just sort of keep them in a bubble... Mm. I right. think if you if you think about it in terms of what Billy brings to the story, though, and what the purpose of having him be a 14-year-old kid is, mm. the fact that the whole family are still involved means you've still got that energy. You've got Eugene, you've got Darla. That, that innocence right. and that naivety is still going to be there in other forms. So mm. I think they probably could get away with having Freddie and Billy be that little bit too old to really be do the kid thing. I've just worked this out. I am so sorry for hijacking this again. The the franchise this actually reminds me of most. So we got this first film that people liked and saw, and then technically the second film in this franchise is Black Adam, because it's very tangentially related. So we find out Black Adam gets his origin story. 
um, and it'll be maybe set in the past or something. And then you'll have Shazam 2 again, and the kids are going to come back, and they'll know what they're doing this time. It might, in fact, be the best Shazam film ever. And then finally, for the fourth film, Kong will fight Godzilla. Hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then everyone's just going to memify. Finally, Black Adam, The Rock, in his 60s, will fight Zachary Levy in In his... his 60s. Do you know what? what? CGI monkeys don't age. (laughs) That's why they're useful. Honestly, that's the true future. They're just going to scan everyone's faces and just digitally insert them everywhere. Oh, God. (laughs) Uh, you, you know, it, it sounds terrible, but basically, like, what I was getting at, and this is, I, I hate the idea of ageism, and ultimately it comes down to um, feeling like I'm growing decrepit. I spent all yesterday aching because I went for the longest walk I've had in, like, a year and a bit. But this is about a little kid who is a pure-of-heart young boy who turns into a 40-year-old man who is boyish and... Like, has, like, possesses that pureness of heart. My guess is after Shazam 2, they'll have to recast them and just like a whole new versions of everyone, but maybe they'll keep Billy around for the Black Adam thing. I, I'm, I'm assuming, and we're just assuming that Black Adam will actually meet Shazam one day because it's like, that's finally getting this shit together. Right. But it just seems baffling otherwise. Is that not what the Fury of the Gods sequel is going to be? Is that not them coming together? Honestly, I like, didn't see The Rock's name in it. Because like, I thought they were giving them both solo movies, and then maybe the bigger franchise takes the title card name. It's a Shazam movie, but Black Adam's in there. Nah, man, they're fighting Helen Mirren in the uh, next one as Hespera. <laughs> oh, and, and it would... Yeah, WB, they'd want to, like, sell that. It, they'd call it, like, Shazam versus Black Adam or something, yeah, yeah. probably. Yeah. That's that's oh, most likely what they'll uh, they'll do. But yeah, no, the, uh, Lucy Liu's in there as Calypso, and uh, we've got uh, Rachel Ziegler, the daughter of Atlas and Hespera's sister, who may have ill intentions. The Iron Man movie, when it happened, we could expect ten years. Well, in our wildest dreams, ten years worth of Iron Man appearances. Ten years, and then when Captain America came out, for Chris Evans to be in an appearance as Captain America for every subsequent year up to 2019 and he was but that was Captain America slowly aging this is Mm. more a case of a boy who actually kind of can't really grow old and if they if if they find a way to do that i will be i will look back on this we've already like i hope this part of the podcast really dates but just as Mm. we're sitting here it's 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 hard to imagine them really taking billy forwards into his late 20s. So CGI could really grow between now and then. They're just banking on the fact that they, as long as they prolong it, the technology will catch up. Yeah, yeah I'm done a little bit technology recently. to keep him short. <laughs> <laughs> Chop him at his ankles. That's easy. Yeah, just knock out his knees and there you go. My name is... All is known to me. Your name is Billy Batson. You did not pry into the secret of the scorpion. That is why I am here. But where did you come from? Out of the past, my son. Down through the ages to guard the secret of the scorpion. You've been alive all these years? What you call life returned to me when your friends violated the tomb of the scorpion. Well, they meant no harm. Then they should have obeyed the inscription on the tomb. The harm has been done. It is your duty to see that the curse of the scorpion 
is not visited upon innocent people. My duty? Yes. So long as the golden scorpion may fall into the hands of selfish men, it is the duty of Captain Marvel to protect the innocent from its evil use. But who is Captain Marvel? You are my son. All that is necessary is to repeat my name, Shazam. Shazam. I've put on the uh, the next note one of the more disturbing villain origins, and I feel like I've um, set this up quite a lot, but I think it just comes down to the fact that if you look at what happens to Thaddeus, like, this kid almost never had a chance to, to not oh be God. a supervillain. Like, we did a whole show called We Need to Talk About Anakin, about how Anakin Skywalker was effectively kidnapped by a weird, creepy Jedi taken to uh, Coruscant. A cult. A cult on Coruscant where they indoctrinate children and they were like, so, are you thinking for yourself? And he was like, nah, I might be. And they were like, this kid thinks for himself too much. And then they kind of made him uh, celibate and be a monk for another ten years. And then when he was practically exploding, they put him right next to the babysitter he used to have, who (laughs) is now super hot to him. And um, he did explode in the end. But in this scenario, Thaddeus kind of gets like some terrible treatment as well. I think I feel like I've led you too much, but um so oh, so so yeah, what what like what's his upbringing and and what actually happens that makes him not the inheritor of the Shazam powers. So he's kind of the the runt of the litter to a a massive a massively rich family, I would assume. Mm-hmm. They own this uh Silvana or what what's Silvana the name? Company. Silvana company. Yeah, company. Which and is just the last name basically. He's kind of just the de- dejected youngest son i guess i love that even the uh magic eight ball was against him (laughs) (laughs) shakes and it's like not a chance (laughs) that's exactly what this character is this is and i like this movie but i this is one of my main issues with this movie is grappling with this villain thaddeus Hmm. because i feel bad for him at the beginning of this Mm -hmm. movie and Mm -hmm. then throughout when you when he changes over to mark strong I'm like, no, I need some of that kid back in there. I need some of the 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 sympathetic side to that uh-huh. that shows through. Like and, Mark and Strong is just a supervillain. He just goes straight up evil. And when he's actually taken to this this uh this nether world where right. uh, Shazam, the Jimon Hansu version, just straight up tells him because this kid who's I imagine is ten years old is tempted by this other voice, like, yeah, it's a kid. He's He's evil, easily influenced, and then Jimon Hansu just straight up says, "You're not worthy." Is there like, any <laughs> chance? Is there any chance that Billy, if he was pulled in when he was that age to go through it, and the monsters were still there, that he wouldn't hear them? Like he seems like the kid who would. I don't know. It, I, like we I'm, can I'm, give you your mother, child, and then he turns around and then sort of puts one finger up, and then uh, then the wizard Shazam goes, "No, you stupid little bastard! This was for the pure at heart. This was a test, and you failed. Now fuck off." <laughs> <laughs> it's so mean. And then it, like he gets sent back to the car he was in that his brother was bullying him in, and the car then has a terrible accident which maims his father, making his father disabled. And it's like, okay, so what are we going to do about that? Is there There is a correlation between Freddy and, and his father. No, we're not going to explore that. Okay, just that yeah, like, life is shitting on Thaddeus. Yeah, like, why, oh, yeah. why did they frame it like this way? Well, like, we're supposed to feel 
something for this kid who's going through a lot of shit right yeah. now. Yeah. And oh, now we have to hate him. My only on, explanation is that there was at least some effort to create this mirroring effect between the two characters where, oh, look, these two had similar options. One went this way, one went the other. But the in the storytelling, story they kind of lost that. Mm-hmm. And so it just felt like some people are born good, some are born bad. And yeah, that's, that's a terrible just, message. You know, that's just how it is. <laughs> and if you're born bad, you're going to do bad things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's you just seem like inevitable. a nice kid, just like this other kid. Yeah. But too bad, you're actually going to be a supervillain. <laughs> you don't a- have a choice. <laughs> it does feel like it's been set up to emphasize Billy's refusal of the power. Because right. the, the, the whole thing about the pure of heart... Mm-hmm. statement I feel is a bit of a misdirect because the the kind of pure of heart that Shazam seems to be looking for I think Billy's absolutely spot on I don't think it does right. exist mm-hmm. but the fact that he's he's refusing the power and saying nobody in this world is that good particularly not me I don't want that particular responsibility that right, right. there is your qualification for holding power to not want it yeah yeah. Basically, anybody who's seeking it and reaching for it shouldn't be allowed. But does that mean all those people that Sivana like g- g- recruited over the years to be interviewed about, like everyone that he's found, was sucked into this cave, the Rock of Ages or the Rock of Time or something like that? I think so, yeah. The Rock of Eternity. It's very metal. <laughs> they were brought in, and he he was like, "Right, are you pure of heart?" And they went, "Um," and then he basically kicked them back out again. Are you telling me uh, no one just went, I don't want this power. Like, I, you know, I want nothing to do with this Until weird, creepy Billy, old man. apparently not. I'm going to... Like, I think that Shazam the old wizard is an irresponsible prick. Because the <laughs> moment that he gets the power, he's like, right, I'm off, and crumbles to dust. I'm leaving! It's just... He's acting like he finally punked someone into taking it so he could take it Oh, you get the Shazam powers. Sucker! It, it made me think of uh, the Clash of the Titans movie, Reese, where, or the Wrath of the Titans, when he's like, oh, you here, take my staff. I'm they dead. I'm just dust. dead now. Uh, yeah. Why? Why are you dead, though? Very recent episode for us doing yeah. Clash of the Titans. Well, they, they, just, like, they, they would just all just crumble. Tur- they'd turn to dust after they passed their powers on. They just decided they were done, and that's how it felt in this movie, where Shazam's like, I know I'm already close, but you know what? I'm done. I just, I don't feel like... Stick it sticking around. <laughs> I almost felt like it was one of those scenarios where he's been waiting for the perfect individual and then realizes there are no perfect individuals. I'm this is kind of the best I can do right now. So I guess powers say, are yours. <laughs> I guess you could say he grew a yeah, little bit. Maybe, there. maybe. Yeah. I, I do feel like that makes kind of a little bit more sense. But one of the <laughs> things that when we were watching it, I, I mentioned to Alex is it really feels like what Thad is being exposed to there is the Stanford Marshmallow Experiment. Oh, yeah. Okay, explain what this was. So the the Stanford Marshmallow Experiment was basically a psychological test that they did with children in the 70s, the early 70s, and the idea was that they would get kids into a room with an observer and the child would be left alone with a a a treat, a marshmallow or a pretzel stick, whatever the kid particularly liked. And they leave them alone and pretend this is separate from the experiment. And they basically tell them, if you can resist the temptation to eat what we've left you, then when I get back, you can have two. And the theory was 
that you could predict and obviously the idea is that that children who are better able to uh, restrain their impulses to just eat the marshmallow will um, display later in life that they have um, they're more successful they're they get better careers they're better able to look after their health I hate this so much I know I know and the, the <laughs> theory my blood's the time, boiling right the, now the theory <laughs> at the time was that it was all to do with how well they could constrain their impulses the problem was when they tried to duplicate the experiment with a larger range of, of people they found that it wasn't anywhere near as as uh, definitive as the original very small and not very diverse sample of, of children had suggested that it would be and when they looked back on it later on and actually started incorporating all of the other factors that the kids brought to the experiment it was more like if the kids had a, a good economic background and um, if good the kids education. parents were very comfortable and well off and then they got marshmallows all the time they're like no nah, it's just a marshmallow I'll leave it but whereas all the kids are like oh, a marshmallow I never get to eat those because I've got nothing so so it's like, oh, we have worked out that you are going to amount to nothing. In other words, we, like, if you eat the marshmallow, you're evil. Mm. That's it. You'll, you'll never amount to anything. But, but for the love of God, that is absolutely right. You don't tell a child that. Daddy no. <laughs> ate the marshmallow. Exactly. Yep. In case you are wondering, you do not need to be crushed to solve this test. I can't decide which is my favorite. The crushers for crushing you or the reassembling machine for putting you back together so you can be crushed again. Remember when I told you that you were the only subjects to pass the calibration tests? I lied. There are 5,000 other two-subject teams in direct competition with you. But don't worry, you are in the lead. They actually could have made it clearer if Thaddeus had been cruel and selfish as a child. So you're like, right. okay, so I get why he would immediately go to that power. Like if he, if he was cruel and selfish and he was bullied by his family as well and he was like, I'll get you. And it was it was like, you do feel a little bit sorry for him, but right. not that he was just a kid who was being just treated like absolute shit yeah. by everyone he, around he him. He grows up in a very toxic environment. He's told by his family he's not going to amount to anything before he even gets to the Rock of uh, Eternity. There's another thing that this movie kind of ties to to Spider-Man, honestly, though, and I think Spider-Man does it better, the Raimi versions at least, uh, Harry is very much this character. Yeah. He's born through a rich family. He's kind of slowly corrupted, uh, and he feels this burden, uh, and he kind of hates slash loves his father. Yeah. Um, this movie, tr I feel like it's trying to do that a little bit, but it's just not, it, it never shows the transition process yeah. like yeah. It, it show that the getting there yeah it's, it's the it pressure to achieve alongside right. the continually reinforced insistence that you never will yeah and and harry um it, like the raimi trilogy never really lets you forget that even if harry's behaving horribly that everyone else cares about harry so he must be worth something um right. but whereas dr savannah is this like crazed uptight sadistic uh, you know, wizened old man. Sorry, Mark Strong. He got really beefed up to play this <laughs> character so he could fly through the air and, like, you know, master his his core. Um, but, like, he just... He's so horrible. There's no correlation between that and the kid. The demons 
that's another th issue as well. Um, Willow, our uh, kid, was really into the idea of the seven deadly sins, and they were mm. trying to sort of extrapolate what, like, they were like, ah, see, greed has four arms because he's grasping, and yeah. lust has I, a yeah, giant... I, I, Say again? Go ahead. If, if you have it, go ahead. I had them all listed here, too. <laughs> uh, and and lust has a giant tentacle tongue, and, and and they said it's because it's for kids, and they didn't want to make it like a hot woman. And even Shazam yeah. later says, "I expected lust to be way hotter," but they are still seven cave trolls again, like with <laughs> yeah. most DCEU villains: gray, angry. Blah, that's it. They all blur together for sure. I, yeah. I wouldn't have even thought about why each one of them had slightly other than gluttony. I feel like everything else is like, eh. yeah. <laughs> Let me just go back to uh, Shazam's powers because um, he kind of he masters he masters these elements of himself in this particular order that I uh, noted. Hold on, right? Lightning, like he's pretty okay with. It's a bit haywire, but it's like the first thing that he's able to do just by pointing his fingers, and then he exploits the hell out of it, just trying to be like a superstar, just kind of this dancing a fool. Then he gets forced to use his strength to save the bus. Then he gets grabbed by Dr. Savannah and then they, he gets beaten up while he's in the air. And that's when he starts to realize, I don't want to be part of this superhero game. And, and it's actually quite um, anxiety producing when he's in the shopping mall trying to learn to fly. And he's just sort of hovering a little bit above the ground, going forwards, mm. not very fast, indoors with loads of people in the way and objects in the okay. way. It's, it's like, this is the opposite of what flying is supposed to do, which is to give you freedom. Yeah, feels very constricted. It's like yeah. when you're in a dream and you're running away from something you don't yeah. want to be near, and you just are you're like running through sludge, and you're like, why can't yeah, I yeah. run faster? Yep. I have a theory about the what that represents in the story. The flying, mm. like you say, flying generally means freedom and uh, a, a lack of restrictions, mm. but it also relates back to the idea of. Um, being cared for and, and being given support from a family. Mm. That should make somebody feel safe and free and able to go off and do the things that they want to do because they have a home to come back to. But mm. Billy, it makes him feel restricted and constrained and he tries to get away from it. Mm -hmm. And uh, the next, he has to use his speed during the, uh, the fairground fight at the end uh, in order to save people. The last two are, according to his power list, the courage of achilles and the wisdom of solomon question mark on both of those those yep. aren't powers also achilles was brave because he knew he was invulnerable and he that's was not really courage yeah that that's that's a I mean, obviously this was the this was 1939 when they came up with it, it was like oh, the, the courage of achilles like, i needed another a and <laughs> And the, the, the wisdom of Solomon, like, uh, back in 1939, you could have uh, him, like, turn into someone who was like, now, kids, I happen to... I, I don't think Shazam has ever been, like, changing his... his Like, he's always Billy. Mm -hmm. So yeah. he, he isn't suddenly wise. He doesn't have the power of wisdom. He, I was trying to, like, figure this out. And I do think they kind of do like a one by one by one. Right. So not until the very end does he get this quote unquote wisdom mm. power. Like, I don't think it ever spells it out, but he kind of gets these powers. 
different times throughout yeah. the film well, as do, he's progressing. They do talk about him having super intelligence and when he passes the powers on to the family, mm. Mary's the one who gets the, the super intelligence. Yeah. But Mary's, but really Mary's smart, smart already. already. <laughs> Mary yeah. is Mary in an adult costume. Absolutely. And she can like punch people now. So, like she's she seems no smarter than she was already, which is smart. Like she's an adult. Seeing her next to the the adult actress who plays, I'm like, wow, you could be sisters. You are so close together. I, I, I put a question mark over wisdom and and over courage. He doesn't have courage. He has to learn no, generate no. courage in order to actually face up to someone who might kill him and other people. Well, what I, is courage? Though? I think the what this movie was trying to do, and it's 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 a little simplified, but mm. the concept essentially is that the message here is. Everyone needs a family. It doesn't yeah. have to be your biological family, but you need people. Yeah. And I think that was trying to fill in the gaps that he had. He has these superpowers, but he needs his brothers and sisters essentially yeah, to actually overcome this evil. So you say, yeah, the courage was yeah. to let go of this this pursuit yeah. of his. So his he mother. doesn't necessarily have to embody yes. every single one of them. He might have certain aspects, but he needs everyone else to complete that. Yeah. Oh, that was <laughs> it made him whole. I think I think that's what the message is trying to do, but it's it's very simplified in a oh yeah, we're just having fun kind of a thing. You know, it, it's not really trying to hit that home. Yeah. That whole sequence when the uh, all the kids turn into like the Shazam family um was a mm-hmm. really like they kept that under wraps. They did not put that in the trailers. Well done right. because it was just utterly charming. Especially the um, uh, the version of Dala, who, by the way, we haven't mentioned her, is the sweetest <laughs> little kid in the entire she world. Is. Cute, adorable. Yeah. She's wonderful. <laughs> the, um, and and like, like her adult self is like just as you know, we're gonna kick that guy's butt. butt. Really hard. Uh, but yeah, the but ugly face. That whole, like, being able to share it out, mm-hmm. uh, ideologically, you have to put Sivana as, as this character who keeps trying to bring everything into himself and, like, mm-hmm. absorb other people's powers. He wants the whole superhero pie. Yeah. And they kind of do do that, but, like, it's not an ide- ideological clash wherein um, uh, Billy shares it out to illustrate that he is operating diametrically like it's there if you want to read it but in in the actual practice of the film it's just like let's do this really cute thing but the shazam family have been around the comics for ages and i it's it's just an it's a is a applaudable decision for them to do that i think one of the things that makes me sad and kind of calls back to the um the thing i was talking about before regarding aging out this film would really appeal back in 2019 to little kids who were like a superhero movie that kind of deals with people my age. So now in 2023, when that next one comes out, they're going to be four years older. Cynical as fuck. Four pandemic <laughs> years older. <laughs> Willow has already gone from this to Lydia in Beetlejuice. <laughs> Four years is a long time in movie making when you when your first one appeals to little kids. Another good example is the Neverending Story films. This is a series that uh, both we and Franchise Killer have covered. The original movie came out in 1984. The second one, with an almost total recasting, 1990. 
six years for those kids to grow up and totally lose interest in this series. Shazam will always be a great movie for if you want to see just this wholesome family, regardless of your age. But they may have missed the boat in terms of keeping it that level of purity for a bunch of kids who've just gone through the wars. Yes. Well, it might be a theme change to, or, or an energy change. I feel like um, mm. similar to Thor and Thor Ragnarok, where they completely shifted momentum in a different direction. Maybe yeah. maybe it won't be like this in the new films. It I, might I, be I, different. I almost think movies are going to have to at least somewhat uh, acknowledge you know, what the world has been through, mm. whether it's literally or figuratively. I think there, there, there may be some call and response to that. Uh, the, I, I don't know how they're going to do it. Like, but the, like COVID in, you know, taking a year. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's always an element of, of uh, superhero movies kind of do this writ large. There's always an element of when you're making a film, you have to decide whether that takes place in a world where the disasters and it's now becoming global disasters that... Uh, we've had to deal with, did that happen in this world? So the Marvel Universe doesn't seem to have had 9-11, at least mm-hmm. not in the same format. No, they had it's the Battle of New York. Things. Yeah, that it's, was it's their dealt 9/11. with other issues. But, but it's, a, it's a different... It and a it different didn't have COVID, it. but it did have the snap and the blip. Yeah, so it's, it's, so it's kind of, there's analogies there. There's, there's things which are applicable, but they're not direct one-to-ones. Mm. But they had World War II. Yeah. Yeah. And like the DCEU, they had World War One. Definitely, we know that happened. Mm. So yeah, I think there's there's a question of how much of what the real world has been through are they going to fold in. The difficulty is that if you swerve too far away from what the real world has been through, you start to lose that applicability. Yeah, it, it could come right. off as naive. Mm. Yeah, or, or at the very, you know, even even in its most fundamental. Uh, element if we have a world going forward where people maintain distance between each other mm. where people are wearing masks as standard if that's something that carries on it's going to be weird in films if people don't have it film. yeah, yeah. Right, jesus right. who there'll be a period of adjustment i think and um then then there'll be like uh, they'll they'll be the first few films that acknowledge that the pandemic happened in this universe as yeah. well there's going to be kids in the future watching this with their parents and like, why are they wearing masks? Mm. Like, oh, yeah, that was a that was a time. Yeah. I honestly don't think masks will ever completely go away, but that's just that's well, just me. Honestly, I kind of hope they don't. Well, they're standard in a lot of countries. They're standard because of pollution if nothing else. Mm-hmm. Right. Oof, yeah. this is getting depressing. Um <laughs> Shazam! Shazam! <laughs> oh, now we're into something happy. I honestly feel like that is part of the reason that um, a lot of these nostalgia films are so huge now mm. is because they return to innocence, you know, or something that was before all this. It was happy happened, back in you know? the 80s, man. I, I think a lot of people are thriving off that energy and just wanting to kind of sit in it a little bit. Yeah. That's why it's, everybody it's, binged Friends throughout exactly. 2020. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because, let's face it, right now it is very, very scary to look at the future. Oh, yeah. Not, not even necessarily because it's going to be dreadful, but just right. because it's uncertain. It's incredibly uncertain, and human beings do not like uncertainty. We don't thrive <laughs> well under it.
didn't strike me until just now listening to that how much Benjamin Wolfish was doing John Williams here to make it feel more like an Amblin movie. It's missing that killer hook. That But it does have that feeling of discovering something special, which is a tough balance to achieve musically. So what's the final take-home on this movie? What can we draw from it? It's your family is where your heart's at. That's the that's the message. Home, home, home is, is where, where the heart is. is. There you go. That's yeah. the phrase. That's the one. <laughs> also, I really appreciate how when Freddy becomes a superhero and can fly, that means the goddamn world to him. Yeah. Oh my it's gosh! Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I love one thing I did want to touch on is uh, the whole reunion with his mother. Mm-hmm. This whole situation is kind of problematic to me. Not super problematic, just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, where if if she had like invited him in for like a cup of tea or coffee or something, mm-hmm. everyone else would have died. Like the, the the movie hinges on this scene of her kind of rejecting rejecting him. him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I I'm just, I don't know if I'm convinced of the character of Billy at this point. Like I don't know if he sees his friends truly as he should or his family truly as he should in this moment. Mm-hmm. And it, it only it, it just hinges on his mom saying like you know what? This isn't a good time. He needed the rejection like, to actually realize the family he had all along. I know what you're saying, but I also liked the scene at the same time because I think it's the first time I see Billy actually emotional, I, I suppose. I, yeah. I think any other time he's been, you know, carefree, kind of chip on his shoulder sort of a attitude where he's a bit nothing. Yeah, and in that moment, I actually feel something it, for it him. It kind of hurts to watch, honestly. Like mm. when she's explaining how she left him there, it's like, oh, yeah. I think the scene itself is good. It, it's very coincidental that it happens when it does, right when his family is being held or his other yeah. family is being held hostage. There wasn't uh, really an active choice made by him mm. entirely to, yeah. you know, choose that family over his mother. There's some agency, but not as much agency as I would have liked to see. Yeah. But it is notable that his new family find his mother for him. They like, He doesn't just turn up on her doorstep because of, of, of luck or uh, his own uh, searching. They find her, do the thing that he had been, has been attempting to do for years, and they let him go. They let him... Yeah. You know, because they're like, we'll just do what's best for Billy. We're going to miss the hell out of him, but just you know, let him go as opposed to yeah. he can't ever know this. That's true. <laughs> or please don't go. She's not. There's nothing for you there, Billy. There's better for you here. There's a tea party up there in the bedroom. <laughs> that sounds wrong. <laughs> it was a good moment for Asher Angel too. Like actually, like I wasn't completely convinced of his acting ability until this part, where mm. I was like, okay, you sold me. Well, he's like, absent is... for huge swathes of the movie. You're yeah. kind of equating his character through a different actor. Mm. Yeah. One, one thing I do really like about that scene, actually, is the way it reframes his memory of, of getting lost at the fairground. Yeah. The fact that it's, it is almost the exact same scene, but there's a slight difference in the way she performs the lines that shows her <laughs> remembrance of it is, is very different in context to it's his. Like yeah, one of the worst days for her, it seemed like one of the best for him until that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And it's noteworthy that the final confrontation takes place in the fairground. He's gone back to the beginning again to reframe himself. Yeah, I had been wondering the whole movie, like, why why are you bringing this fight to this highly populated area? Mm. Uh, but it, it from a symbolic standpoint, it totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's the only place you can fight Dr. Pepper. <laughs> Dr. Pepper. <laughs> 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 Dr. Zhivago, Dr. Pepper, Dr. Evil. It's Dr. Everson. He doesn't like you. The other thing that we we discussed is this uh, tendency to have uh, Ferris wheels fall over. And oh, yeah. it occurred to me that you can knock over a Ferris wheel and it's a, a really nice piece of um, visual destruction where it's very clear that as long as you've cleared the area that it's landing in and there's nobody sitting in the cars, mm. no one's getting hurt. If you knock a building over, there could still be people in there and you don't know about it. With a big yeah. wheel, you know there's no one sitting on it. Uh, but I did like the fact that the, the envy sin was within uh, Dr. Evil. <laughs> Dr. Savannah. Uh, I I was still like, I would have loved to see like the buildup of Savannah being, he, he is kind of an envious character. He's envious mm. of, you know, his brother's position, his father's position early on in this movie. You kind of see that. Yeah. Uh, again, I could have used the transition to something like that, but I think it was kind of oddly poetic that this envy demon is hiding within yeah. him and when uh, Billy or Shazam is talking to him, he's mm. he's talking to both of them. He's talking to the demon. And he's and talking provoking. to Savannah because they both kind of share that feeling of like, yeah, we don't we don't amount, we don't add up, uh, and that's kind of their ultimate undoing. Yeah, uh, I was still kind of grappling with. I like that it takes that stance or not, but it was at least like there was it, it was cohesive in that way, and there was right. A, it made more made me understand the villain slightly so more. It's not as good as seven, say at the very end where he has to spoiler alerts. This one alpha deep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't quite hit the same way. No, not quite. <laughs> Special note uh, needs to go to uh, Rosa and Victor, the, uh, the two foster parents. It's kind of a, a, a thankless E task in the movie because they're sort of, they're there to provide support and a home, which gets continuously rejected by, um, uh, uh, Billy, and they're lovely. Like they are the the kind of foster parents that um, that again, I would imagine wayward kids dream of. They're they're supportive. They're caring, and they encourage conversation and back and forth at the uh, dinner table. Just little things like that, and the um, the the level of kind of warmth and it feels like you could have troubles in that house and be right. able to get through them with everyone helping you yeah. rather than being yeah. feeling very isolated. And I really like the way the interactions between them show, maybe not with like super gritty detail, but it does point out that offering unconditional support and unconditional love to people who are... Uh, too distressed and traumatized to take it mm. is hard. Yeah. It's not just a case of, well, you just have to love people enough and then everything falls into place. No, right. you have to know that it, it really is important that you keep offering this even though it keeps being rejected. Right. And that can get difficult. 
Weirdly, it, it almost feels like um, the, the film needed to do a bit more work just illustrating John Glover, the shitty parent of um, uh, Dr. Uh, Lecter. Um, yeah. that you've... Kind of a DC staple, isn't he? He's terrible. Yeah, he's he's in um, Smallville. I never watched the show, but he was Lex Luthor's passive-aggressive dad in that. And yeah. he was in uh, Batman and Robin, like the... Superman animated series or something like that as well. The Rid- the voice of the Riddler. The Riddler, that's it. Yeah. So if if you are in the DC universe and your dad's John Glover, you don't have a chance. You're going to be a supervillain. Um, but but yeah, ultimately, it, it almost feels like Billy had to have been with this family a little bit longer just to illustrate that like one of the reasons he's a decent person is because he's had their support for years. Because it's kind of a, there's a mystery over why, again, why he's such a good kid. Well, like I said, there's there's the, it's almost an echo of that whole thing about Harry Potter being protected by the love of his mother. Billy is protected by his belief in the love yeah. of his mother. The the, right. the yeah. faith that he has in the in the myth that she lost him and would spend the next 14 years trying to find so him as, him as hard as he was trying yeah. to find her. Yeah, uh, it then becomes, uh, this is the, the family he had all along. It's not all along. He's only just met them like a week or so ago. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, uh, it's a short amount of time, but it does feel like major progress was made. And, and I think you're right about the whole, um, the, the scene of her rejecting him coinciding with the scene where his family gets taken. It almost feels like, I, I've forgotten the actual chronology. Does Billy have to rush away at that point or yes. does he walk away on his own? Yeah, that's the scene where it's the rooftop. He's hit by the bolt. He says Shazam, and he zips off. Yeah, yeah. He he gets a call from Freddy, which ends up being uh, Savannah, and then he rushes over to save them. Yeah, that's that's to 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 hurry up Act Three. But it almost seems like he would have been better off walking away from his mother, heartbroken, and actually just dwell with this broken-hearted kid sitting alone on a bench. Mm. But then you ask yourself, why aren't the you know his new family coming to get him? And then you cut to oh, but they were being held up by um, by this guy, and uh, I, that's just an editorial scenario. But yeah, it, it does feel like they were just trying to like you say conveniently. I think that that that, that is an appropriate word there. Like they conveniently shunts him into Act Three. Yep. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's 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 a, a good-hearted movie, even if it does kind of stumble and sometimes end up saying things it probably didn't mean. And I think the movie probably has more respect for the wizard Shazam than it probably should, because um, <laughs> he's an irresponsible old gimmer. Yeah, I think overall we we were we were positive on it. We had a good time watching oh, yeah. it. It's a, it's a really kind of light-hearted romp. romp. Yeah, something <laughs> something the DC. EU desperately needed. I guess it's called the DCU still, whatever mm. it's called. But it, it seemed like a natural, like, yeah, we need, this is a ni- nice little palette cleanse that just kind of sets the stage for the future. And uh, here are five more Batman movies. Take them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> School of Movies is powered not by lightning bolts, but by Patreon. You good, good people keep our phones charged without exploding. And we give a special thank you to the top-tier patrons every week, so digital high-fives too. Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Alex Outridge, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolfe, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Salguero, Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, 
Duran Barnett, Finbar Nicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joe G, Josh Waster, Kat Esman, Kevin Vahey, The Rain Chisholm, Mark Luksh, Marty Huey, Matthew A. Siebert, Matthew Webb, Michael Hasko, Sarah Montgomery, Tim Wazenski, Timothy Green, Toby Jungius, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns. So to our guests, where can people find your show and what are your favorite recommended recent episodes? Yeah, so we are Franchise Killer and you can find our show on most podcast platforms. Uh, we just kind of, we're wrapping up a, we, we've kind of decided to start doing a more mini-series type format where each one of our uh, hosts will pick the the next mini-series of films that we want to cover. The one we're doing right now is uh, Greek gods. mythology. So we started with the Percy Jacksons. Uh. We, yeah, we went through Jason and the Argonauts, which, believe it or not, did actually have uh, designs on a sequel. Uh, never happened. Uh, then that led naturally into Ray Harryhausen's uh, Clash of the Titans. And now we're on the remakes, and we're going to wrap it up with Immortals. So we're having a lot of fun doing that right now um so yeah those will probably be out by the time you hear this episode but yeah that's it as far as recommended episodes what would you say is one of your favorite episodes reese they all kind of they all kind of blur together at this point don't say that (laughs) don't say that no we have amazing episodes (laughs) if if one sticks out to you then oh man never ending story two has to be one of the greatest (laughs) it's one of the early ones no (laughs) yeah it's terrible um i would say uh world war z if you're interested in uh zombie flicks um there's also been Pirate, just because it's forever good doesn't mean they're not good. <laughs> well, do you think the newer ones are better? I think we're, I think we're, we're getting, get, we're getting we're hitting there. our stride. Okay. <laughs> um. All right. Fine. Django in the middle. We'll yeah. I, I enjoyed uh, Leon the Professional. We have. Oh, that was a great. That one. was a good one. So. And Sicario. Sicario. Our Hitman series was good. Okay, folks. I hope you bullet pointed all of those when you're listening at home. Please, Alex, make that work. Please. That's fine. Uh, yeah, yeah, your favorite 50 shows. That's exactly what we do at the end of every episode. It's the best. There's, none, there's no bad episodes. They're Honest, all good. I, I, I feel like just a, a, a big broad spread is a good idea because people go, oh, Leon, yeah, I like that one. And then you, you'll, you'll hit a lot of uh, um, like uh, different tastes with, uh, with what you just said there. But uh, yeah, recommended their show, folks. It's, uh, it's great stuff. Uh, Sorry to abuse our platform here. (laughs) No, no worries, no worries. And I'm going to leave you on the Shazam rap by Daddy Fat Snaps. We will see you next week. I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And Shazam. I was just a little boy, shaped by his tragedies. The pain and agony eventually became a fantasy. Let me introduce myself as Billy Batson, happily a conduit of power that could change a kid's anatomy. Parents, they were murdered. I was orphaned in the system, but little did I know that I'd be morphing from a victim to a powerhouse. Imagination forced into existence, a new organism headed by a wizard and his wisdom. Just another day, I was hopping on the train when I heard a voice say I was chosen on the way. What? Hopped off, but it wasn't anything for me. Met the man claiming he's a wizard, Beard Silver He leaned in close to tell me that I'm worthy A power divine, burly with biceps so curvy He said, I will give you what'll change the game All you gotta do is say my name and let it rain I should say
all the haters see you later cause I make it good Shazam I'm protector of the galaxy What a marvel you can call me Captain Marvel actually Then I said the word and was transformed From a little boy to a mass form Stronger than a mass whore Then I said wizard Shazam what does it stand for And he said Solomon and Hercules But there's more Atlas, Zeus, Achilles and Mercury I can take the strength of the gods wielded perfectly Now it is yours it is bottled up internally All you gotta do is say the name and you turn to he Then I left and ran to my boy Freddy These powers are unsteady and I need to be ready Put it through the paces and discovered every day A new ability that's shaping my approach in every way One day I'm learning how to fly through the wooden roof Then I got shot and I found out I'm bulletproof I am ready as ever they will pay Any villains in the way get slayed when I say Shazam when I'm coming down the block You can see the villains with the guns cocked Get dropped like Shazam When I'm coming through the street All the ladies looking at me I sweep them off their feet like Shazam When I'm cleaning up the neighborhood Making all the haters see you later Cause I make it good Shazam I'm protector of the galaxy What a marvel you can call me Captain Marvel actually Shazam when I'm coming down the block You can see the villains with the guns cocked Get dropped like Shazam When I'm coming through the street All the ladies looking at me I sweep them off their feet like Shazam I make it good, Shazam I'm a protector of the galaxy What a marvel, you can call me Captain